Hi, and welcome to Quest, a vineyard church where we strive to live life as friends with faith through knowing God, loving others, and making a difference. If you're new, there will be information at the end of this podcast to help you plug in at Quest both in person and online. Now, let's dive into this week's teaching. We're continuing our series today called Outside Influence. And in this series, we are dealing with uh, the one question primarily throughout the series. How do we live in a world of polarization and values and morality and relationships that are polarized where anytime there's a difference or that's challenging to somebody's perspective, there ends up being arguments and difficulty, especially in regard to faith and morality. And to focus our talk, talk today a little bit, let me ask you this question as well. How many of you have ever worked in or at one time in your career a work situation that was really, really difficult to work in? Anybody here ever work in a place where it was difficult to work in? And I'm not talking necessarily about, yeah, a lot of us. And I'm not necessarily talking about a place that work, the work was challenging. We all tend to like a challenge at work. I'm talking about the kind of challenge where uh, you struggle in relationships. You struggle with the politics. You struggle with uh, people feeling like uh, maybe you feel like it was unfair or unkind kind or unjust or maybe there are unreasonable expectations of other people towards you uh, and, and they just made life difficult if not hurtful as well. Maybe some of you here don't struggle with that in your work setting, but you have a family relationship or a friend relationship or a community involvement relationship that's exactly that. It's just kind of one of those things that's just really difficult to be a part of. Today we're going to talk mostly about work. I'm going to illustrate everything almost exclusively from work. But if you're here today and you don't relate to that, think about those family relationships because the same principles, the same truths we're going to talk about apply to those friend and family difficult relationships for you today. The question really comes down to us, how do we live honestly? Ourselves, our values, who we are in those places where when we disagree with someone, we are either offended or they offend us or it's just a really difficult thing. And the reality is at some point in all of our lives, we're all going to face that in our careers or our social lives where people in relationships are different than us or difficult and it's exceedingly frustrating. It's maybe even at times we might even use the word it's abusive and hurtful to work in those environments or to be in those relationships. It might be a boss who you've worked with who is unpredictable in their moods or they're insecure and they take it out on you or they, or because of their insecurity, they withhold opportunities for career advancement and you feel blocked. It may be that you work in a business setting where there's always new big goals. When those big goals have little regard or little thought for you and how many hours and how much stress you're going to pay to get that done, and it leaves you frustrated. I remember one time experiencing that with a board I was working for. We put in a proposal to do a, a job that was going to cause 240 days of consulting, and they thought that was too small of a goal, so they added four to 500 days to that and still wanted us to achieve the same results with two of us. And we just kind of went... How are you going to do this? And some of you work in places like that where you're downsizing, where the pace and the pressure gets more and more all the time. In your work environment, you always feel like, I have to do more, I have to do better, I have to jump higher, I have to be faster, I have to do things bigger, I have to be more efficient. And all the work and the stress seems to flow downhill to you. And it's frankly quite frustrating. Or maybe it's a situation where your company's product or the approach they take to business leaves you asking questions about, can I be a part of this company because of some moral or spiritual or values differences that I have? Let me be fairly obvious without naming any names. I've had conversations with many of you about multiple companies in our local community with whom some of you are struggling with either yourselves or with others. How can they work with these companies? Because through their companies, whether it's the advertising or whether it's the actual product offering that they do, they promote, in your mind, sexual temptation, for men especially, but also for women. Or they use men's or women's bodies as objects to sell their product. Or they, they even say, some, some people I've heard even say, well, that business is all about selling soft porn. I've even heard it that strong, right? So the question is, 
whether we work for a place where it's difficult to work in because of the boss relationships or the, or the colleague relationships, or whether we work in because of there's moral and value choices and ethical dilemmas we face on a, on a regular basis, what we tend to, in those environments, start to ask these types of questions. We ask, should I stay at this place? And how can this be God's best for me? Wouldn't it be better in God's mind if I was in a place where my gifts fit better, where I had more room to grow, where it was healthier, where it was more peaceful, where everything was more aligned to my values and my faith and my moral morality, where I didn't feel like I was facing ethical dilemmas on a regular basis at times, right? Today's look at Daniel in the Bible is going to invite us not to necessarily ignore those questions altogether, but to ask a different question. And to take a different and develop a different focus in our life that's going to be really challenging for all of us. And at the same time, it's going to promise to breathe a new sense of peace and the possibility for a new sense of hope and purpose in whatever you're in, wherever you're facing. Um, So uh, today is also going to make us uncomfortable because, um, well, here's the reason why. What we're talking about today is going to get at the heart of, we talk a lot about from the Bible and from our own experience, how we want to learn to be people who are led by the Holy Spirit in all that we do. But the reality, I think, for most of us is we all have this innate tendency where what we really want is we want control. We want what religion offers us. We want clear rules. We want clear boundaries, easy, clear answers to the things. And while the Bible is very, very clear on almost every moral question we want to talk about, the way the Bible teaches us to live out our faith in relationship with other people is not always that clear cut. I mean, think about it. Why is that? It's because the Bible teaches us that we're supposed to give the same kind of outrageously generous patience and grace and kindness that God gives to us. Meaning, we're to be committed in relationship with others who are still messed up in sin, like us. And you and I both know from our own experience, if God asked us to change everything all at once, if He wanted us to be cleaned up, instantly fixed in all areas, and believe exactly right about ourselves, about life, about morality, and everything all at once, that we would be crushed under the weight of that kind of an expectation. And our God is gracious and patient. And the process of us growing and the process of us being led by the Holy Spirit, we never lose sight of God's commands regarding morality and relationships and truth and right. But, but it can often feel rather muddy for us in discerning when and how and in what way we should invite or encourage or help those around us come to good moral decisions and good faith decisions and good relationship decisions. Instead, we we find ourselves struggling with when should we be patient with the process? When should we be patient with the growth? What's God working on? And when does He want to fix this? And and we've got all these questions that we deal. You see, discerning, discerning how to live like that requires constant dependence on the Holy Spirit. And religion doesn't work for us if we really want to live that way with each other where we're kind because the Holy Spirit's the only one who knows our heart and our mind. And the Holy Spirit's the only one who knows when you and I are really truly ready to make this change and make this growth in our life. But let's get even more specific. What we're going to deal with today out of, out of Scripture and out of Daniel is we're going to wrestle with a phrase that we often cite in answer to this question. When somebody asks you the question, how do we live as Christians in a culture that is not Christian, that it may even be antagonistic to Christianity? How do we live in a culture like that? What does that look like? And the frequent answer we hear is this cliche answer that says this, as followers of Jesus, we are to live in the world but not be of the world, right? You, probably many of you have heard that, right? And a lot of you probably think that's directly a quote out of the Bible, but actually it's not. It's something preachers have put together to try to summarize a whole bunch of different scriptures that talk about how we should relate to the world around us in a real practical way. And, and it's fine. So our focus today is going to be to practically wrestle with that phrase, and what it looks like in the life of Daniel and Jesus and specifically in navigating difficult relationships 
at work. But before we look at Daniel, I want to take a moment to look at Scripture, uh, some ways that Scripture are used by different groups and how they interpret what that means. And the, the first three ways I'm going to talk about today are half-truths. They are uh, attempts to try to figure this out, but, um, but they don't really fully encompass the truth of Scripture, and they end up being an aberration of what we should do. So the first one, I'm going to use a little, good, a little bit of good old preacher English Old English here. Be ye therefore separate. Right? People who believe this site, verses like 2 Corinthians 6, 17, that says, come out from them and be separate. And we also talk in this, if you're part of this group, and I've been a part of this group in the past, uh, uh, about having nothing to do with immoral people. The Bible speaks about that in some ways, but we often misinterpret those scriptures, uh, and it ends up making us so separate from culture, so separate from anybody who's in sin around us, uh, like we're not in sin ourselves. Uh, that we fall prey to the aberration that we start to believe that the most important thing about our faith is in living our Christian faith is for us to be pr- free and pure of sin. And because we believe that, we believe that we're supposed to live separate from any uh, and avoid any temptation at all and, any poss- and, and we're supposed to avoid any possible association with something or a group or an organization or people that would possibly label us as participating in sin, Right? The separatists believe that the way to convince the world of who Jesus is is that they will eventually see my pure life and how much better my life is with God than theirs is without, and they will come and begin to ask me questions. But this approach to life and this approach to wrestling with that phrase, in but not of the world, leaves us living really just practically outside of the world with almost no influence. We're like oil trying to mix with water. When we get there. And, and I, I got caught into this for years. I, I wouldn't listen to anything but Christian music. I quietly but condemningly with my nonverbals left any conversation that was uncomfortable or rude or that I thought was participating in any kind of sin that I had defined or the Bible defined. And I, I eventually got to the point where I avoided relationship with people who were not followers of Jesus other than if I was working with them on a project, and I had to be in relationship with it. And looking back on that kind of an approach to in but not of and my own life, it saddens me at how harmful that was to me as a follower of Jesus and how harmful it was to the people around me. And if you read the historical books of the Bible in the Old Testament, you see how the Israelites struggled with this idea. They kept thinking that's how we reach the world. We separate ourselves and we become so good that they all want to come to our God and ask us questions and be like us. And the result is that they missed God's call on their life. You see, original, the original call for the Israelites in the Old Testament is found in Genesis 12. And it says what? It says God wants to bless them so that they will be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. Blessed to be a blessing to everyone. There's something more active in that. But yet the people who focus on this word separate fail to reconcile the way Jesus and Paul both lived and even further how they actually define the word elsewhere. And this group often is also largely separate and largely silent about faith, preferring to wait for people to see how much better I am and to ask me questions. And that's the way we spread the faith. But there's another camp We'll just, we'll just call it the preach the truth but keep your distance camp. And uh, they still believe in separation, but it's a little more active. It's a little more engaged in that. And, and the people who uh, are in this camp would cite very strongly all the scriptures throughout the Bible and the New Testament that say we're all called to preach and proclaim the gospel of Jesus to everyone. And that's true. We all are, every single one of us, not just me. Every single one of us in the room who's a follower of Jesus is called by God to proclaim his word and his truth to people around us. But, but they also end up focusing very strongly on a verse oftentimes out of Ezekiel 3.20 that, let me just summarize it, it basically goes like this. Uh, Ezekiel is talking and he says, if, if you have a friend who gets caught in sin and falls away from righteousness and you do not go to them and try to confront them and rescue them and bring them back to the way and they die in your sin, then their blood is on you. Now, that's a really strong truth that we all, powerful truth that we all have to wrestle with. The reality is, true of that scripture, that we as followers of Christ have this immense responsibility to not be silent, 
to not be passive, to be active in pursuing those caught in sin and unbelief and to lead them to God's redeeming power by connecting them to God's power and God's relationship with himself. But, but the aberration of this of living in the world but not of in, in, this, in this instance produces in the worst case uh, an angry bullhorn preacher who just has to get up and tell everybody about how they're sinning and call them to sin and, and warn them in that. And, or, or in the best case scenario, it, it leads to churches and people thinking, we just need to have a really good radio broadcast or a, a really good crusade meeting or a really good, we post our Facebook posts to try to get all the people to see the truth and have to wrestle with the truth or we have to have these awkward confrontational conversations and where we just say, here's the truth, now decide, right? But their focus is on warning people. And we easily get this. Our focus becomes on warning people instead of being the incarnate word of, of God, powerfully present in close relationship with people, just like Jesus was with us. See, in but not of, in these two views, which are fairly prevalent in the American church today and the church all over the world, leaves us with more of an attitude where we live like life with kind of an attitude more akin to, I, I live here, but I don't have to like it. I don't have to necessarily like it. I, I, can't, I don't have to really engage with people beyond the level of beliefs. And the reality is when they see how much better I am than they are because I follow Jesus, and then they'll come to me and come to God and it'll be all right. And it's, it's just kind of this distant, and it's the, both of these views are really this us and them approach to relationships. And that, that's not at all. What, what, what this in but not of is trying to get at in the Bible. The biggest aberration I think we face today, let's just put it this way, is, is we I try to identify with culture to attract the culture. And in but, in but not of then becomes for us the, the, what I talked about last week, where, where we get into the culture so much that the power, the power of culture to conform us is so strong because it's all we know, it's all we grow up, and it's the only lens we know. It is so strong. And this view, we become so focused on getting into the culture and becoming attractive to the culture by being cool and by paying attention to the it factors that people want to follow and trying to be like that. And it, and and God becomes secondary and we compromise our call to be different in our morality and our values and instead we conform culture. And like we said last week, unless you're different, you can't make a difference in life. So we judge church and we judge faith by who has the coolest lights, the coolest fashion, who has the greatest, most technologically advanced or current cultural way of communicating and, and we decide what church we're going to go to based upon those things. But, but even deeper than that in this view, there's, there's something even more deep than that. This view of culture and the way church should be takes on our culture's view of what compassion and what grace are. And grace and compassion are really how we connect and how we identify in relationship with other people. That's what it is. And, and so they say, well, if it's cool, the, the culture's view is if it's cool for you, then that's okay. And if I'm going to be compassionate for you, then I'm going to fight for your right to be who you are and live and let live regardless of the disagreement. But the Bible speaks of truth and grace in tandem. Paul almost always uses those two words together when he talks about them in the Bible. They're inextricably linked because there is no grace unless there's truth. Grace is not live and let live. Grace is not even just forgiving and loving when someone wrongs you or wrongs another or wrongs God or makes harmful choices. It's not even just that. Grace involves calling people to truth and regardless, we don't abandon relationship even if they don't come. See the tension? It's calling people to truth and we still pursue the relationship. We don't just sit back and wait for the relationship. We pursue. That's the kind of grace that Jesus models for us. And Daniel in his story and his life, paints this amazing picture of grace and truth in a compelling and challenging way for us. And as we look more at him now, we're going to, under, we're going to discover that this in but not of phrase that we often answer that question with is inadequate. It's not wrong, but it's just inadequate to fully communicate how we are called by God to live faithful to him in a polarized, antagonistic world. So let's start again by looking at the very first two verses of Daniel again this week. And it reads this way. It says, In the third year of the reign of King Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. Now let me ask you a question. Where is the sense of control in these two verses? 
Is the sense of control with the conquering King Nebuchadnezzar? No. Daniel, as he's starting to write the memoirs of his life, which would be preserved and later codified into the book of Daniel that we have now, starts by identifying that it was the Lord, the one true God he worships who is in control. Even in the horrible siege of Jerusalem, he's in control. Even in Daniel and the Israelites being forced into exile and slavery in a different country and relocated, God's in control. Even in Daniel's induction into the Babylonian re-education program that we tried to talk about last week, God is in control. See, Daniel trusts God's power and purpose for his life. He trusts his power and purpose for the lives of the people of Israel. And he even trusts God's power and purpose to work through the evil Babylonians because they are also made in the image of God and loved by him as well. And Daniel gets this core foundational belief, I would suspect, from a number of places, but maybe he got it from Isaiah who lived a century before him. When Isaiah wrote this, he said, God's ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. In other words... God has the power. Not our boss, not the system, not the difficult authority figures in our life. God has the power. And Daniel, when writing this, he didn't know the end of the story. He lived through four different rulers, including the violent overthrow of one of the people he served, only to then serve the conqueror himself as well. He lived through tumultuous, unpredictable times. And yet he trusted God's ability to work, even through sinful, rebellious, unbelieving humanity, to accomplish God's purposes and direct Daniel's life. You see, Daniel's focus is different than ours. It's not a focus on him. It's not a focus on the power of the bosses or the system or the, or the, the, the powers that be in the place that I work, but it's a power, it's a focus on God's power. You see, most of our questions, I've asked these questions when we struggle with our, with our job situations and we ask questions like, should I continue in this place of work? And, uh, should, I, should I stay here when it's so difficult, when it's so painful, when it's so frustrating, when I face the ethical dilemmas, even, even abusiveness? Uh, uh, those questions that we ask aren't even on da- uh, Daniel's grid to ask as his first or second or third questions. See, most of our questions that we raise when we're struggling with our work environments are, are like the illustrations I used at the beginning to, to, to struggle to talk about our dilemmas at work is, is we ask questions about you. We ask questions about me. We, it's about my comfort. It's about my control. It's about my future. It's about my moral purity. It's about my dreams. And those are the questions we're asking ourselves. And often we get caught into this difficult work environment and our prayer of frustration goes, God, how can you let such bad, unfair things continue to happen? How could you, God, ever even call Call me to such a difficult place. I know, I've been there. I've been asking those questions at times in my life. But Daniel developed this power of focus to see God as the one who had all the power. And and, and because of that, Daniel's questions started in a different place than this. Now, some of you are going to say, Well, Daniel didn't ask God those questions about moving on to a different job or anything like that because he was taken it forcibly and he was a slave. He didn't have the choice, right? Well, yeah, that's that's part of the text. That's true that he was forcibly taken. But Daniel and his friends still had a choice. They had a very viable choice. They had a choice that could have removed them from having to study the magic arts in contradiction to their religion as part of this re-education program. They had a choice that could have insulated them from the maniacal evil of, of Nebuchadnezzar's pompous, brutal leadership as a direct boss. I mean, think about it. Look at Daniel 2. The story in Daniel 2, we see Nebuchadnezzar having this dream from God. And he wakes up and he calls the eunuchs that are on duty and he says, I had a dream. And they go, well, great. I'm glad you had a dream. We'll help you interpret it. He says, no, I'm not going to tell you the dream. You have to tell me the dream and the interpretation. I'm not telling you anything. And by the way, if you don't tell me both the dream and the interpretation, you and all your buddies who are my advisors, you're going to die in the next 24 hours. Now, you think you've had a bad day at work. This is a bad day. This is a really bad day at work. Daniel and his friends also had a choice. They had a choice that could have prevented them from being around decadent sexual parties in the king's inner circle. 
You see, historians look at this text and they, they make this observation that the, that the reason Daniel and his friends were made eunuchs, in other words, forgive me, I'm going to be really graphic, they were castrated, okay? So just in case you didn't know what that meant. They were eunuchs because the king didn't want them to be tempted to have sex or father kids with his concubines or his wives or to have any kind of temptation other than to serve all the parties that he would throw that were very sexual in nature for all his generals and all of his leaders. They were around decadent sexual activities and parties on a regular basis. And Daniel and his friends had a choice to not be a part of any of that. They could have chosen to not pass the tests. And they could have gotten kicked out of that elite program of training they were in. And that would have simply been fine. They still would have been above average people. They would probably have been appointed as cooks or teachers or, or farmers or something, somebody else. In fact, they may have even been sent back to live with their Jerusalem, all their friends from Jerusalem who got relocated into a, a Jewish community in Babylon. Their life could have been insulated from direct involvement in the decadence and the moral challenges of working in the king's business. But they chose instead to give their best to God in whatever circumstance they found themselves. And Daniel was in a really difficult place. He was in a really difficult place. But Daniel was there because his first question wasn't about his ease. It wasn't about his comfort. It wasn't about the fairness or the kind treating of the boss in the workplace. It wasn't about morality of the workplace. It wasn't about the dream he had or the desires he had. His first question came out of this deep sense of God being the one with the power in his life, with the power in his boss's life, and with the power in all the circumstances around him. So the question he asked is, how has God called me and gifted me to make a difference right here, right now, right in the middle of the circumstances I'm in today? That was his primary question. And you see the difference between the questions we ask and this question? This question is a question of strength. It's a question of difference-making. It's not a question of fear. It's not a question of ease. It's not a question of reaction or believing that God only wants to bless me, which means in our world too often that that's a, the life is just going to be good and easy and, and fine all the time. No, God blesses us to be a blessing to all peoples. No one excluded. Not even the maniacal, unpredictable, difficult boss in your workplace or your co- colleague who's that way. Think about it. Who in this world lacks or needs God's blessing the most? And isn't it those who are caught in the depths of sin and evil and moral compromise who are difficult to work with? I mean, when you're facing a difficult reality and a frustrating job situation or a relationship, Daniel is inviting you to make your first thought that, God, I know you are in control, not them. And God, how do you want me to make a difference here, now, right in this place? And how have you gifted me to do that? And you see, when we trust God in that way, with that sense of control and believe that, something flips inside of us. We start to approach those difficult settings expecting, like Daniel, we see him throughout the book of Daniel, expecting God to intervene, expecting God to show up. We expect him to orchestrate influence in the relationships for us, even if we feel like we are outsiders. And Daniel and his friends knew God had gifted them for learning and leadership, so they, they excelled in that. They gave those gifts to God right where they were at, even if it meant being forced by their masters to study things contrary to their faith. They still gave their best. And Daniel and his friends knew that God had put them into that place for potentially world-changing influence for a reason. Even though it meant being with people in relationship where it was going to be ethical dilemmas and sin and whims of people who were going to make life difficult at times and knew they were going to experience hostility at times. But I can hear some of you probably thinking, yeah, I get that. But they were working for the, the, the most famous emperor of that time period. They were in a place to make world-changing influence. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just a banker. I'm just a, a manager. I'm just a salesman. I'm just a logistics person. I'm just a, a, you know, I'm just a mom. I'm just a dad. I'm just a volunteer. I just work in the community. I just, you know, whatever. And yes, yes. The point is, whether in Daniel's position or your position, God's call is no different. His call is that we would represent him to stand out, 
to be different in the way that God calls us to be different, and yet that we would be in, that we would be intricately involved so we can influence one friend, one colleague, one boss, one person at a time. And that's where world-changing influence happens, whether it's in the palace or whether it's in Starbucks. If you influence your neighbor for Christ, you touch everyone they work with, their family and the generations of their family. World-changing influence, changing one person's life at a time. But that means we need to change the phrase, living in the world but not of it, to something stronger, something more active, something more focused. Let me suggest this as a, as a more biblical way to summarize the teaching of the Bible. It's we are sent into the world with out-of-this-world values and love for even the most difficult. See, our master is not our culture, and therefore we are going to stand out. We're going to be different. And yet God sends us into our culture to identify deeply in relationship with the people and love them and make a difference. We don't just let our culture come to us. We go to the culture. We love, we serve, we rub shoulders with people who ethically or morally make us face difficult, uncomfortable choices every day of the week. Some of you are frustrated with your work settings. You've been questioning, where is God in all this? Because it's been different. You're begging God to get you out of there into something better. And the reality is God may get you out of there at some point. He may want you to leave that place at some point. But you're asking the wrong question. And you're not focusing on the right truth of who has the power in your situation. Has God called you to where you are to bring influence for Him? Well, if we believe that God has the power, then wherever you are is exactly where you're supposed to be right now. And the answer to that is yes. If you read the rest of the book of Daniel, you'll see that a a couple of the rulers served and came to faith. And, and, and the people Daniel led were blessed. And there were probably nine out of ten days in there that were horribly difficult for him. And then these amazing days where God shows up and changes people's lives. And we're so easily get focused on our own frustration instead of the strength and the power of God's influence through us. I remember coaching a leader for several years. I'll call him Joe. Joe served on the staff of a church as an executive pastor. It was a great church, growing church, doing really well, and it was led by a sincere man, a senior pastor. But the senior pastor was a guy who was so people-pleasing, he constantly caused problems because he'd say yes to this group and he'd say yes to that group because he didn't want to please them and they were both disagreeing with each other. And you can imagine the difficulty that caused. I mean, it caused conflict all the time. It caused a a deep disagreement and distrust of his word and undermined sometimes the credibility of the ministry. And God was still doing amazing things in that. Isn't it awesome that God still works through us when we are so messed up? His grace is so big. He still does really good stuff with us. And Joe called me regularly asking the questions. He says, how can I serve a liar? How can I serve a person I can't trust? How can I serve a person the people can't trust when they get to know him? How can I get out of here? Surely this can't be God. And he navigated those self-oriented questions and, and he processed the legitimate pain that goes along with them. I mean, there's a lot of pain that goes along with that, a lot of disappointment that goes along with those things. It's really valid. But he kept coming back to this idea that, God, God, you, you've called me here right now. And you've gifted me for here. And in fact, you've given me favor with the senior pastor so that I can have enough of a relationship with him to mitigate some of his people-pleasing and allow you to be bigger and your work to be bigger. I'm here for a purpose right now. And God gave Joe tremendous influence. And three years later, God called him on to somewhere else. But he didn't leave because of hurt. He didn't leave because of anything else. He left because he was called. You see, until God truly calls you elsewhere, you're where you're at. Some of you are in jobs you hate and want to move on. Some of you want to move on because you believe that God has called you to something different and better. And he probably has. I'm sure he probably has in that. But at this time, the dream for your future has no destination for you to run to. And if we are truly followers of God... We run to things he leads us to. We don't run from things that are difficult. We only run to things that he leads us to because God is with us and he gives us the power to influence if we engage 
right where we're at. Now, next week, and we're going to talk specifically about some really interesting ways that we see in Daniel how he related to the people around him. That if we learn those same lessons, it'll increase our ability to have pleasure with favor with God and favor with man and, and influence wherever we go. But but today, I want to. Uh, this message could easily feel to some of you like a like a, a buck up and be strong message, and I don't want to leave it there because that's not what we're trying to say today. I want to leave you with a couple thoughts of how you can learn to live at peace, even in the moments of these difficult environments, with hope and even with joy. And we're going to talk even more about that next week. But look at me for look with me for right now at Daniel two, where the king has demanded everyone tell him not only the interpretation, but the dream. Otherwise, they'll be killed. Again, kind of a stressful moment, don't you think? I mean, that that's that's one of those moments. Probably a little more intense than anything you've ever experienced, right? And that, may, that means that what David faces here and how he faces it can inform and help even whatever you face. In the middle of chapter 2, the guards come to, David to, to Daniel to arrest him. I keep saying David. It's Daniel. You know that, right? And his friends. And Daniel reasons with them and asks the king for more time. And the king gives him some more time before he's going to execute him so they can try to have an answer. And the story picks up there in verse 17, and, and it says this. Then Daniel returned to his house. And explain the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. And then Daniel praised the God of heaven. And we skip down to verse 26, and it says this. Uh, as he goes to the king, he says, The king asked Daniel, Are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? And what does Daniel reply? He says, No wise man, enchanter, no magician, no diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. In other words, you've asked for something impossible. But there is a God in heaven who reveals the mysteries. Daniel lives... Not in his wisdom. He's a very wise guy. Not in his perception of what is right. He had a very good moral compass and a sense of what is right as the driving force of the life. He says no wise man can explain the mystery. And then he goes on to explain, I think, what is, was uh, the big but of his life. And I know that sounds funny, but it's the easiest way to say it. The but that guides his life when life seems contrary to his liking, when life seems like a threat, when everything seems out of control, when it's unfair, when it's harsh, when it's difficult. And he says, but there is a God in heaven who can explain the mysteries. There is a God who is truly in control, who even of the unknown. So, King, your most, in your most unreasonable moment, when you ask something that nobody could ever do, when you're caught up in your own egomaniac moment of power and anger and trying to make everybody else pay for it and motivate everybody else by fear because you get your jollies out of this, there's a king, there's a God who is truly in control and truly powerful, a God I completely trust who reveals what I need to know, what I need to do, and what I need to say when I need to know it. And when I need to say it, you see, in the moments when no one else, including me, knows what to do, there is a God, he's saying to Nebuchadnezzar, who reveals, who empowers, who protects, who is responsible for my promotion or demotion or whatever, who solves problems, who brings favor and blessing through me to other people around me because I serve him and trust his power and wisdom. Not my own, not others, not even yours, O king, my boss. And God wants all of us to be able to find how to live from that place of strength. And that requires, like Daniel in this moment, that he's living in the moment. He's not worried about his future. He's not worried about past failures. He's not worried about even his past successes influencing today. And he's had plenty of them. He's trusting God, living in the moment, confident and at peace. I remember many years ago sitting in the office of one of the most significant mentors in my life and I was fretting, fretting over my lack of confidence in, be able, in being able to hear God and understand how he speaks to me and what he's saying to him. And I was looking at him going, when I'm a pastor in a difficult situation and facing a difficult 
situation, a painful situation that just seems unresolvable, how am I ever going to know what to do? How am I going to know what to say? How am I going to ever be confident in hearing God's voice and, and speaking for God to other people or, or praying for Him to speak to other people or praying for people to be healed? How am I going to ever know how to do that? How can I be confident in that? And my mentor looked at me just matter-of-factly and said, just stop it. Stop worrying. Stop worrying. You're not in control of that, and God is. And God is faithful to be clear and to show up when you need Him. And you might sometimes think His timing is a little slower, a little bit off, but if you don't let that fear get to you, if you just learn to live in the moment of life, if you rest in that confidence, God always shows up. And isn't it true? that a significant part of the reason we get so anxious and so frustrated when we're working with difficult people or in a difficult job or in a difficult situation, it's because we begin to question our identity. We fear failure or we fear our reputation won't be built like we want it to be or it'll be tainted or, or we fear for our future. We fear that that promotion, we fear that that ability to earn more, we fear that that dream that we have for our life for the future or security or success won't get there or we ask questions about what if I, what if I get low, get let go or don't earn as much or we fail or we miss opportunities or we let other people down. Our angst in our difficult situations in life and especially in work are so often because we project that difficulty onto who we think we are and we project it onto our future hopes that we now think our career path will be impossible or more difficult based upon the power of the people around us who are holding us back. But Daniel and his friends trust in the Spirit of God at work in them so much that they're able to live at peace because they learn to live in the moment and trust that there is a God who reveals the unknown when we need to know it. See, God is not uncaring at all to our plight, to the emotions of difficult relationships. He doesn't like the pain that we inflict on each other and having to do that. He's not uncaring to that at all. But because we so easily get caught up in thinking, it's not like God to call me to such a difficult place of frustration, pain, even evil that causes me to face things that I feel like I'm compromising on. But that's an absolutely wrong assumption. That's a totally wrong assumption. God is the one who called Daniel and his friends to be working in exactly this place that they were working in, in all of its difficulty and challenges and ethical dilemmas at that time. God is the one who has called you to work where you are right now. Why would God call us to a place that's difficult, dark, maybe even full of moral and faith dilemmas? It's because you're sent by him, just like Jesus was sent to us. In all of our sin, in all of our darkness, in all of our moral compromise, in all the ethical dilemmas that we presented to Him to befriend us, to love us, to serve us. And so you're also sent, exactly like Jesus is sent to the world around us. That boss who is difficult, they're not in control. They're not in control. God is. And God has sent you there to bring blessing. And whether God saves you and removes the pain from you or whether you have to walk through the pain of that difficulty, He's going to care wonderfully for you in that situation. He wants you right now to walk in peace and joy even in your current situation. But that's only going to start if we start asking the right questions and have the right focus. If our focus is that God has the power and no one else. He has my future and no one else. And if we start asking the question, how have you called me today, right now, right now, right here in this moment to make a difference, as difficult and as frustrating and as painful as it is, to learn to live in the moment and trust that God is there with strength for us so that we stop viewing the difficulty from a point of weakness, but we see how He's called us, the God of the universe has said, you are the person he's going to empower with strength and wisdom and words to positively influence the people where you are. Now, 
If you're here today and you've been frustrated with your workplace and you've, it's been really difficult and, and especially if you're here and you've been thinking, I need to be leaving this place because it's so difficult, I want to pray for you. I want to pray that the Holy Spirit will come and touch you and help you to flip that switch so you stop asking the questions that just lead to more angst. I've asked those questions so much and it leads to so much angst. When you start asking the right questions, you're going to be able to begin to tap into the peace of God and the power of God for this moment. And even, even if He's called you to leave, even if He's preparing you to leave, what I want for you before you have a chance to leave to that next thing is for you to get to the place where you experience the peace and the joy and the strength of influence he wants you to have right now, right where you're at. Because if you don't experience that right where you're at, then all you're going to do is run to the next sec- next job with the same fear, the same insecurity, the same angst, and you're going to find the experience to, the, to be similar most likely there as well. God wants us to be people of strength and influence who we are sure of who we are in him And yet we live in such close relationship, even with people who cause us to face difficult choices every day, that we get to rub off in being like Jesus. We don't just get to say words. We get to rub off by touching and praying and caring and loving for those who make sometimes our lives miserable. If that's you and and you're going, I I need that kind of prayer for my work setting, uh, would you just raise your hand and and we're going to pray for you. Yeah, yeah number of people all over. Lord, we just ask that your spirit would rest on each and every one of us. But Lord, I pray especially for those that raise their hand today with the difficulty being faced, whether it's in relationships or at work, Lord, would you come and by your spirit assure them of your good plans for them, your good future, that you're there with them now. And Lord, I pray that you would pour out the kind of strength and peace to trust you every day in the moment. No matter what comes up, they can walk into the meeting, they can walk into the next task, they can walk into that time when they know they're going to be asked to do something that challenges them, that they disagree with, and they can come in with the sense of what to say and how to say it in a way that honors you and in a way that loves the people in the room. And Lord, that there would just be this switch that would flip where it would be, even if, they're, even if you're calling them to something different, where there would be increasing passion for the new that, that you're calling them to, but there would be a, a, an increasing settledness in your goodness to them right now, right where they're at. Holy Spirit, come. You're the only one who can do this. We'd love to have our rules about this. We'd love to have our ideas that would make it nice, neat, and clean, but it's not, and we need to rely on you. So I ask that you'd come and be very real right now. In Jesus' name, amen. As we continue to worship, would you just give your hearts to God? And the songs are just really great opportunity for us to respond to the message today and encounter Jesus in the next few moments. This is a very holy moment. God's presence is here. And I think what he's saying to us today, regardless of whether it has anything to do with work, maybe it has to do with family, maybe it has to do with something else, God wants to break off of us today, responding to life with fear. He wants to take that off. All the anxiety, all the fear, he wants to take it away. And he wants to replace it with a confidence and the strength that he's placed in you, that he's promised to place in you to meet every task he's called you to meet, whether it's parenting, whether it's school, whether it's a job, whether it's a difficult relationship that's broken that you long to be restored. I don't care what it is. He wants to break the fear off and he wants you to learn to operate from a place of expectation, living in the moment, not worrying about what's going to be tomorrow or the next day or a year from now or whether things are going to be good like you want, but live today expecting him to be there and receiving the kind of peace that goes along with that kind of a perspective. So can I just bless that in you? Lord, I pray that you would bless in each one of us that freedom that this would be a day of a turning point for us. For the many individual us's here, this would be a turning point 
that your spirit would break fear and anxiety off of us. And that we would walk out of this place full of your spirit, full of expectation for the kind of world-changing influence you want to bring through each one of us, one person at a time. That we can change generations. That we can change a workplace by reaching one or two or three people who change everybody around them because you are good. Not because we're better than anybody else, because we're not. We're not wise enough, we're not smart enough, we're not capable enough, we're not sin-free enough. It's because of your Spirit's desire to work through us. And Lord, we receive that today. Come Holy Spirit, fill us and empower us to be your people. And Lord, I pray that you would teach us, continue to teach us to be the most generous people on the earth. Generous in our kindness, generous in our patience, generous in our time, in our pursuit of even relationships, especially relationships that are difficult. That we can make a difference. And Lord, thank you for this opportunity right now to be generous with our money. Lord, would you continue to bless us and prosper us financially? Would you continue to respond to our giving with blessing that we could be even more generous and make a greater difference in our community because you are with us in every way. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you're here today, let me just say this. If you've been asking those questions about how in the world do I get through this, I want this to change, I need to be out of this, I've asked all those questions. I've wasted so many days and hours and weeks and years of my life with the anxiety that those questions ask. And I'm going to tell you, the only way you're going to be able to refocus on God as the one with the power, and the only way you're going to refocus to be able to ask the right question, how do you want me to be present in this moment with your influence, is if you have other people around you who are going to help you. I've always, every time I've faced that, the only way I've gotten through it successfully is to have other people in my life who are asking me that question. Has God called you here? What has He called you to today? Don't worry about your future. Praying with me. Being agents where when they pray with me, I sense God speaking to me. One of our songs said, isn't it great to hear God speak your name? We need people around us to pray for us so we encounter God when we know He's speaking our name. He knows us and something about that settles us in our ability to ask the right questions and have the right focus. So today, if you're here with, with maybe, maybe you raised your hand earlier, if you want prayer for that, if you want prayer for healing, if you want prayer for any anything that's going on in your life, even if it's something you don't want to tell the people what about it, but you just know you need prayer for just raise your hand and then uh, everybody look around. This is the look around time. Everybody look around. Is there anybody with their hand up? Yes. One here. Thank you. There's probably some others. Look around. We're still in this time where I'm really inviting you and challenging you. I may pray for some of them who raise their hands, but I want you to learn to pray for each other. I want you to learn to experience the Holy Spirit and release that power of God within you to each other. So I want you to continue to pray for each other here in your, in your small groups and grow in that. So let's go this week. God has the power and he's placed you right where you are for a purpose. Find that purpose and that blessing this week and find his peace to be where you're at this week. God bless. Have a great week. See you next week. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon audio. If you are loving Quest's podcast, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. For more information about Quest, who we are and what we do, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at GoToQuest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org.